Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. This episode is brought to you by Set GK Goalkeeper Gloves. Gloves by the pros for the pros. With three different models to choose from, they guarantee you'll find the feel and fit you're looking for. Use promo code Just for Keeps at checkout and receive 25% off your order. It all starts with your set. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hawkman, and joining me this week is current Gotna IF goalkeeper in Sweden, Anthony Ferrara. Thanks for joining me today, Anthony. Thank you, Carter. So I'll kick us off with my first question to everyone, which is when did you... When did you know you wanted to become a goalkeeper? What drew you to the what drew you to the position? Um, so I guess my first first thing that kind of got me onto it was in two thousand and four. Uh, Portugal was playing uh, England in the Euro Cup. I believe it was the semifinals. Um, so I'm I'm Portuguese and Italian, so that's why I had a, an interest in the game. And uh, so the game went to penalty kicks. And the Portuguese goalkeeper, uh, Ricardo, took off his gloves and, uh, and he saved a penalty and then uh, went up and took the winning penalty to send Portugal through to, to the final. And uh, I remember sitting in my, my grandfather's house watching that game. And uh, it was like when he saved that penalty and then went up and took it, it, it clicked in my head and was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. He took off his gloves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I, I'm gonna need to, the second this is over. I'm looking that up, but um, yeah, I mean, it, amongst, it was a, it was a crazy it was a crazy moment. Along with him, you know, who were some of your professional inspirations growing up in Peabody, Massachusetts? I mean, I if anybody anybody who knows, I didn't really start following the sport until I was about 15. I didn't have anyone I was molding my game after, which I guess could be its own blessing, you know. Sure, um, I mean from from the start. I guess Iker Casillas was always one of my biggest uh, idols. Um, but then, obviously, uh, Buffon was another big idol. Um, I'm on the, the shorter, very shorter side of the goalkeeping spectrum. So, looking uh, in the U.S. at goalkeepers like Nick Romando, um, that, was, that was huge for me. A lot of people in the U.S., at least the crowd that I know aren't exactly, you know, hundred percent sure what the proper route is to take to playing soccer at a high level, just because there's so many other athletic options people can take. There's, you know, different sports people can choose. And there's so many people who will tell you that they have the answer. But when you were 15, you went on a professional trial at Sporting Lisbon. How, how did that come about? Um, so I was playing club uh, in America, in the Boston area. And, there was someone in the club that that had a connection uh, in Portugal, and you know, could could kind of help me out to to get over there. Um, I am a, a Benfica fan, so it kind of hurts me to say that that I went <laughs> on trial with Sporting. Um, but I I tried to get in with Benfica, but they denied me because I was too short at the time for for my age. Um, they have like a, a standard of what they they want a goalkeeper to to be in terms of height, uh, and I didn't reach that. And I'm 26 now, and I still don't think I reached that. So uh, 
they um, they ended up turning me down, and and Sporting said that that I could come in for for the trial instead. And so, you know, I went there and, and did uh, did well. Um, their their trial system goes in about three phases, um, so I made it all the way to the to the third phase of the trials, but then ultimately didn't um, didn't get asked to stay. What did that do for your confidence when they were like, you know, you're you're just too short for us? Um, well, considering, like I said, I love Benfica, it, it hurt to that the club that that I love would turn me down like that. But um, it's something that I mean, already at that point in my in my playing career, I had heard a million and one times. And since then, I've heard another million and a half. Um, so it just it motivates me every time I hear it. But I've, I've almost become a, a bit numb to it as well. When I was 15, by the way, I was playing JV soccer in high school and I was wearing jerseys of players I didn't even know. So different, <laughs> different paths, I suppose. But yeah. anyway, anyways, you know, I feel like a lot of kids would imagine that once you go on a pro trial, you're going to get looked at by other clubs automatically. But I would assume that's not the case. Uh, no, it, it wasn't the case for me. Um, basically, after that, after that, I went to go play uh, high school because I came back and there was really nothing else uh, for me at the time um so and i knew that i that i had to keep on playing if i wanted to have a chance of getting into a professional club somewhere um so i think uh, i went and i played high school for two seasons and then shortly after that went went back over to europe and what went into that decision uh well i mean ever ever since i was young um like I said, so in 2004, I was nine. So since I was nine, I knew that I wanted to be a professional. Um, and always for me, that that never was going through the, the college system. Um, I always, always thought that it would be my time would be better served uh, chasing the dream in Europe as opposed to going through the, the college ranks. Um, now, looking back on it, uh, I don't know if I would have done anything different, but um, I guess. I can say that I'm happy with the decision I made. And that's interesting because a lot of the people that's it's, I think it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of Europeans and European influence come over to college soccer in the U S because you're kind of right. You know, if you don't, you know, over there, if you don't make a professional roster by the time you're or a professional club, by the time you're, you know, 15, 16 years old, you're not going to get looked at as much. So they come over to the States to, you know, get more experience, get a, get a degree, keep playing, and then continue to try and play that professional, uh, that, you know, get a professional contract. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so, it's so cutthroat, um, in, in Europe. I mean, uh, so after that trial, I mean, I ended up playing in Portugal, uh, in an academy team, uh, as well. And there I saw that, you know, even at the academy level, everything is, is cutthroat. And, you know, you're only as good as, as your last match, as they say in that cliche, you know. Um, and if you're not doing anything for the team right then and there, then you're useless. Um, so it's, yeah, I cannot understand why a lot of players at early ages make the decision that they want to come over to America and, and go to college and continue playing that way because it, it'll end quickly otherwise so a two-part question here um but what age did you start getting goalkeeper specific training and at what age did you find a goalkeeper coach that you worked well with because the two are absolutely mutually exclusive yeah sure um 
so I think it was around 14. Um, I went to a, a summer camp uh, called Vogelsinger. I went to that one too. Did you really? I did. Okay. Um, wait, so then you must know uh, Mustafa and oh, Mustafa. Julius. Oh, I know them very well. Okay. Yeah, those those two uh, coaches are like my mentors, um, I would say. And to the, to this day, I work uh, when I come home. I work with both of them. Um, they're both people that I I look up to and and highly respect uh, in terms of their their opinions and trainings and and everything like that. Um, so I do owe a, a debt of gratitude, I'd say, to Mustafa and Julius uh, for at least the the foundation of of my career. For those just who don't know, do you want to describe Vogelsinger to them for a little bit? Um, sure. So Vogelsinger is just like a, a summer camp. Uh, and I think it goes on. There's multiple locations. And I think it goes on for like a month in, in each location. And uh, basically, you can either stay on location and uh, you basically eat, sleep, and train. I think there's like two two training sessions and then like a match session at night. Um and then, yeah, you can you do can do that for one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, uh, however however long you'd like. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty intense. Um, especially, I remember my first experience with it. I went into it. I had almost no idea what to expect, and I had had zero personal goalkeeper training. And so, going from no no real fundamental training to you know eight ten hours a day of really hard very specific training and for those who don't know Mustafa um he was I believe it was the Moroccan national team yeah um uh, back in the 80s uh he played for them and he's a very traditional style goalkeeper and I think it's great for fundamental when you're when you're young and you're learning the basics and the fundamentals of the game Mustafa is the guy you definitely want to go to but I you know from the way the game has, from the way the game has changed, I think, you know, your your coaching with with that kind of coach should stop at a, at a at a younger age. Just from my opinion. Sure, I mean, I think uh, I think you said it very well. For younger goalkeepers, he'll he'll teach you the the basics and, and give you a very strong base uh, to go off of. Um, but but like I said, when I go home, I'll still do sessions with him. Simply for the fact that he kicks my butt every oh, session. Oh, yeah. He will work you to the bone. That That's a guarantee. <laughs> I've had uh, many sessions where at the end I've had to I've had to throw up or, you know, sleep on the car ride home um, because he just he would just cook you. So uh, for that for that aspect, I still love working with him. But, yeah, I can I can agree with with the other part of what you said that uh, it goes up to a certain point. And then, and then I think you, your training needs to, to change with what your, your goals are. And that may just be the fact that I worked with him. I mean, I had, I worked with him at a young age and then I worked with him again while I was in college a little bit when I was, when he was helping out with um, Seacoast's uh, PDL, now the USL2. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would, he would come and train the goalkeepers. He's, he's extremely good at making sure you're well conditioned, but I can't remember a session where we worked on, the ball with the ball at our feet and i think that's such an important part of the game right now yeah i mean absolutely um like i said he was he was basically for i'd say five or six years like strictly my goalkeeper coach um so 
I've I've seen a lot of a lot of sides of him, and and we have worked on stuff with with the feet and passing and all that stuff. But I mean, like kind of like you said, he is more more traditional, so he does make sure that you're you're well conditioned um, first before before the the footwork stuff comes in. But and absolutely, say, yeah, and I would say that it's very lucky um, that you that you work as well as you do with a guy that you found at a young age because that's not always the case for everyone. I bounced around goalkeeper coaches for a number of years before I found one that that I worked well with. And I think if you just because you find a goalkeeper specific coach doesn't mean that it's going to work well right away and help your development. No, no, absolutely not. Um, and I think I think something that helped me was um, I was very ambitious, very young. Um, like I said, at kind of nine years old, I knew I knew what direction I wanted to head in in life and so when I found someone that met uh, my ambitiousness and and understood it and understood the professional game um, I kind of jumped on board right right along with that quickly one thing that I actually don't get I don't think it gets harped on enough in in training enough is the communication aspect of our game which I find you know ironic considering that communication is arguably 95 percent of our game what what kind of communicator are you with your team? Do you scream at them? Are you more just directional and communicative? I was never able to scream at my squad, and I was always just directing traffic. Um, I think I think the whole screaming and getting loud uh, part of it is something that I I use maybe as like a seasoning. It it gets sprinkled in here and there uh, when it when it's needed, but. Uh, that's not the base of my game um, because if you're just screaming people's heads off for 90 minutes, sooner or later, they're going to look at you and just tell you to be quiet and just not listen to you anymore. Um, but if, if I see something that's like drastically bad and going on in the game and I have to address it, then yeah, I'll, I'll let my teammates know about that too. It's important definitely to find that balance. I, you know, one of the things that I learned and was told is, talk until you know talk you you want your your center backs and your and your wing backs to be sick of hearing your voice in a way you know you don't want them to not be listening to you but you want them to be it just you know you know what i'm talking about yeah like uh, yeah. they have to always know that you're there and that you're connected to them um, but it can't be to the point where they're just like oh my god i've had enough of this kid today yeah it's one of the first things I did when going to any ID camp, when going to any, you know, going to Vogelsinger is the first, the first thing I did when I was playing with a new team or a club team or whatever it was, I would make sure, if not for my wingbacks, I would make sure that the first thing I learned was the names of my center backs just so I could communicate with them. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I like that's something similar I did going on, on trials. Um, always, I would say the center backs and then the captain, if it wasn't one of the center backs. Um, because those are the people you're gonna need as as your friends straight away, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna do your your best. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good a good tip to always have going into a new experience. And it's it doesn't help that I'm I have terrible ADHD and, and terrible with names, but it would it would be one of those things where you could you know especially going into a new atmosphere where you're trying to maybe impress a coach if you can demonstrate that you can communicate well immediately with people that you don't know that's a huge asset sure 
Uh, I mean, I think that goes, that's like just your people skills um, and something that even translates outside of football. Uh, just being able to, to, to talk to people and knowing how to communicate in certain situations. Um, like I was saying before, if you're just yelling at someone constantly, uh, there's not a lot of people that, that react well to that. So you have to know how to ebb and flow with, with the game and with, with what's going on. So moving away from the communication aspect of the game for a second, moving towards equipment, when you were younger, because I know I know they only really sold these at Volkswagen. You you were able to buy equipment there, like shin guards, gloves, socks, anything mm. that you may have been missing. When you were younger, did you ever use the gloves that had the spines in them? Mm, I don't think so. I never I never actually liked it. <laughs> um, I I bought I bought gloves that had like the removable finger spines. Um, and I would always make sure if I was buying gloves, I would do the research and make sure that the, the spines were removable. But I never like liked it. I never felt like my hand was comfortable in it. And I was like, you know what? Like fingers, finger injuries are going to be a part of the game if this is going to be my life. So like just get used to it. And so I just I just never went with them. It's I mean, it's such an interesting thing for goalkeepers, the, the equipment, because it it really doesn't get talked about enough. I you know I spoke I spoke about it in another episode, but I want to get your take on it as well because finding the right glove is just as important as finding the right boot, and it doesn't necessarily need to cost you three hundred plus dollars to find the best pair out there. And believe me, for those listening, there are gloves out there that are three hundred dollars plus oh that, will, <laughs> yeah. that will rip and tear after a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, like. I've found I've gone through basically every type of, of glove company, um, Ubel Sport, Royce, Sells, basically you name it, I've tried it, and they all tear the same. Uh, just because you bought one for one hundred fifty, two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars, doesn't mean that it's going to last you any longer than you know, and just a normal pair of gloves. Um, so yeah, I think. My advice to people buying gloves would be don't don't think that because you're paying so much more that you're getting so much more. Exactly. And, and this leads into Set GK, which is not only a sponsor of the podcast, but a glove that you wear and even help design their latest model, the Red Venoms. Just talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, so this this year going into the season, I joined uh, Set GK and I'm very, very happy with them. Um, very happy to be a part of the team. Uh, and what really drew me to them was when I looked at everyone involved, um, they're all either currently playing or currently coaching at, at high levels or have played at high levels. Um, so I know that I was going into people that were well experienced uh, with goalkeeping and what goalkeepers want in their equipment. Um, so it was something that I felt comfortable with uh, getting behind and, you know, putting putting my name and my stamp on um and and wearing um so yeah we um we signed on this year and then you know i've always kind of had a little knack for designing gloves i've always enjoyed that that aspect of it because i'm a goalkeeper fanatic of of every type so um yeah we were working together and i just just one day, we came up with the the red venom design, and um, 
the thing that I liked about it was that like it wasn't just me putting it forward and saying, hey, this is this is what we're going to do. And this is what I like. It was a whole process. And, you know, we all spoke about it. We all had our inputs on it. Um, what what we should change, what the cut should be, what the latex should be. Should it be extended pump? Um, should we redo the wrist strap? Uh, you know, there was tons of things that went into it, but it was a whole team effort. Um, and that's something that I hope comes through in the glove so that anyone purchasing the glove doesn't just think like it's, you know, just a random person making it, but it's, it's a whole team of goalkeepers that, that make it and design it. And I mean, what would you say, especially because for those that are used, I mean, as a goalkeeper, you get comfortable with a brand that, you know, you know, like I, I through high school wore, wore Nikes and was comfortable with like the vapor grips or the, you know, I forget what they had, but they had that plastic punch pad on the on the back of the. Uh, oh, yeah, I love yeah. those. Um, but for the goalkeepers that are comfortable with those gloves that might cost, you know, 200 plus dollars or, you know, what would you say to, you know, if they're looking to maybe make a change or you're trying to convince them, what would you say is the benefit of switching to a brand like Set GK? Well, yeah, first I would say just just try it. You know, I mean, if you're paying $200, I know the, the set GK gloves go for a hundred, I believe. Um, so that's, a, that just means that you can get more pairs in the year uh, for the same amount of money, first of all. Uh, and second of all, I would just want them to get them on their hands because once I had those gloves on my hands, like they were the most comfortable and I just felt so secure in them. Um, I had no, I had no doubts about wearing them. So I would just let the product speak for itself and just say, put them on your hands and, and yeah, you're, you're going to like them. This is a paid partnership. Um, <laughs> I, I want to move, I want to move to Sweden. Uh, well, not literally, but you know, depending on how the next couple Maybe years go, you will. <laughs> yeah, depending on how the next couple of years go here in the States, we'll see. But sure. um, you're currently playing for Gatna IF of division two, which is incidentally in the fourth tier of the professional pyramid there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a broad question, but how does the goalkeeper specific training over in Sweden compare to your time in the US? Um, that is a good question because I think my, my situation at Gotne is a bit different than what a typical Swedish goalkeeping session is like. Um, I think a typical goal, uh, Swedish goalkeeping session, um, is more based off of uh, physical abilities, uh, more like, I don't want to say explosive in the sense of maybe like a Spanish type of training or Portuguese type of training, but more, more physical based. Um, And then working a lot more on, on crosses and longer kicks. Um, But my situation is a bit different because I have a, I have a very tight relationship with my, with my goalkeeper coach. Um, and we explore a lot of different types of goalkeeping, and he's very open to to doing a lot of, you know, different schools of goalkeeping, if you will. So it's not that we're doing just a specific Swedish style. Uh, sometimes we'll work on a French style. Sometimes we'll take a, an Italian style. Sometimes we'll take a Latin American style. So uh, we work all all sorts of ways whatever we feel is going to work for best for me to get me prepared for the game um that's what we'll do i'm curious what are the differences between you know say an italian style a french style or a portuguese style um well 
I guess it'd be it would be easier to show you, but I said one one big thing is uh the the spin to get up. That's a that's a very typical Latin American Portuguese Spanish style. Um, whereas getting up off of from one knee is more of a, a British style. Um, that's like that's a really big one that stands out to me. Um, but there's there's a lot of things. Um, Portuguese like to use a lot of cones, like uh, taller cones, mm-hmm. a lot more jumps, a lot more you know upper ninety saves, uh, more spectacular flamboyant type of stuff. And I'd say Italians try and keep it a little bit more simple. Um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And and it's interesting that you mentioned cones because you see us, especially here in the U.S., you'll see a lot of ladders and a ton of hurdles. Sure. Because that's that's because Americans make uh, make athletes first first and foremost. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I mean, I think that draws from uh, the British style as well because the British use a ton of cones. Absolutely, uh, there's a lot of that influence over here in the states. I mean, one of the reasons I ask is because from from my experience here, the goalkeepers don't have a lot of involvement with the rest of the team in, in training unless it comes to short sided drills or just full field scrimmages. Uh, would you would you say the goalkeepers are more involved in full team training over there, or is it just more of the same? Um, I think nowadays they're becoming more involved. I'd say five years ago, ten years ago, uh, it was very much of of what you said. Like goalkeepers come out, we have our time, and then you know at the end when we're when we're playing full field or AV8s, whatever, then we'll join in with the team. Uh, but now nowadays you see us, you know coming and doing rondos with the team, doing passing drills, getting involved in, in different things uh, outside of just the in-goal stuff. One of the things that we really haven't mentioned at this point, I mean, we kind of touched on it, but is, is stigma surrounding the position. One of the big ones being a goalkeeper's height, which we talked about with, in, with you and Benfica, which with the expectation that you need to be tall to be an effective goalkeeper, which you and I both know just isn't true. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's also kind of a, a motivation of mine is to, to show uh, that you don't have to be, you know, six foot six uh, and not saying that obviously there's anything bad with that, but that someone that is a little bit shorter can, can do the job just in their own way. Um, and that's, that's something that I try to prove every day and every, every match uh, to, to those looking at the game that, you know, okay, they see I'm I'm shorter, but you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a hard time for you for you to beat me. Yeah, I mean, one I had a goalkeeping partner in college. He was he was five eight, and he was one of the most explosive, talented goalkeepers I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. Like I said, Nick Romando is what five seven, five eight around there, and and he he guy's like a cat. He makes the net look incredibly small yeah and especially on like penalty situations he's a penalty killer but like that's a that's a situation where he should be so small but he's not yeah and it's it's one of those things where the position you can make yourself as big as you want to be no matter no matter how tall or or short you are it's it's how you come out of your six yard box it's how you control your 18 if you can command that and you can command your back line you can make yourself seem incredibly huge regardless of how tall you are. Yeah. 
absolutely. I mean, I think that that comes from from being fearless and in, in your mentality as well, um, how you how you approach the game, uh, not not having any fear of like you said going out to get crosses or to come out for one v ones or whatever the situation may be, um, and and giving that confidence to not only your backline but your team that you are there and that it doesn't matter how tall you are, that you're doing the job. And at the end of the day, the ball's not going in the back of the net. Another thing that goalkeepers always get is that we're the crazy ones. We're lunatics. I mean, who would want to jump in front of that? Why would you want to put yourself under that much pressure? How do you handle the pressure at the moment? How do you handle being the most criticized when something goes wrong? You know, I, I have my answer to those questions, but I'm curious to know what you say to those questions that I'm, sh- I'm 100% positive you've gotten before. Yeah, yeah. From from when I put the first the gloves on first, people have been telling me you got to be crazy to do it. And uh, my response was always, okay, well, if you think I'm crazy, then I'm going to give you something to to make you think that I'm actually crazy. Um, So it's I don't know, for me, it's like I said, kind of kind of being fearless, um, coming out of my box, doing something, you know, maybe a normal keeper wouldn't wouldn't do but going at it full uh fully and and just being fearless with it and then that that gets noticed and people people recognize that quickly when they say okay oh wow this this kid's he's short but he he has no fear um yeah that's kind of that's kind of how i've gone at it and you know the second part of that question you know like how do you handle the pressure of the moment how do you deal with it how do you how do you handle the criticism when everyone's looking at you when something goes wrong i mean i guess just through through the years you kind of learn to deal with it um i don't i guess just with experience i've kind of accepted that that's that's what the role is um you know there's i think maybe my first year in sweden um we went to the the second round of the Swedish Cup and we played in our first division team, in our Svenskan team, and that was the first, like the biggest game of my of my career to that point. And you know, I just I I think yeah, I made I made a mistake in like the fifth minute or something, um, but I because I was nervous, but I said you know what this is if this is really what you want to do, then you have to accept that this is what the role is, and you can either let it let it kill your career or you can accept it and you can grow from it and, and not let it affect you that way. So that was the, that was the point when I was like, okay, you know what? Like it is what it is. Just move on. And that's, that's such a humongous part of the position, you know, the mental aspect of it in terms of like, if you can't accept the fact that this is what you're getting yourself into, like if you, if you're not ready to, to, to make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes, if you can't, handle the fact that you're going to let up goals in big moments in your career. You can't handle the fact that you're going to play in huge games in front of people that are going to be yelling and seeing things at you. It's just not for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's something when you're, when you say, okay, this is what I want to do that you really have to sit down with your, with yourself and, and understand that this is going to be a part of it. These are the, the stripes that you're going to have to get along the way. If you want to make it to the top, um, so you can either accept it and take it for what it is, or like I said, it can, uh, it can eat away at you and, and you'll never reach your, your full potential with it. Anthony, I, 
I really want to thank you very much for your time and absolutely nothing but uh, good luck with the rest of your career as well. All right. Thank you, Carter. I appreciate it. Guys, this has been another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Thank you very much again to Anthony Ferrara for coming on. I have been your host, Carter Hockman. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps. 